0: We're starting a new series today as well, and it's called The Six Dumbest Things I Learned in Church. And you might wonder, why would he do a series like that? And some of you are wondering, why is he dressed like that? Well, the short answer is, I'm convinced that there's way too much confusion and even conflict in the church regarding things that I would call non-essentials. Things that really don't matter, and not enough attention given to things that really do. I know of a church in Florida where I was for some time, but a pastor there got fired for showing up in shorts and flip-flops on a Sunday morning. Seriously. They fired him. They ran him out of town because he wasn't supposed to dress like that, and that church, you always wore suit and tie. And he got fired for doing exactly the opposite of what I'm doing. I wore suit and tie to make the same point he was trying to make, that God doesn't care about what's on the outside. Here's the point in the outline. What we look like on the outside doesn't matter to God. What he cares most about is what's on the inside. What you wear, what you look like does not matter to God as much as what's on the inside, where your heart is. Now, before I go any further, you need to know that I grew up in church. From the time I was a week old, I've been in church. And from the time I was that tall, I wore a suit and tie, a little polyester suit with a clip-on tie. And I hated it. I really did. I I mean, I was a run-around kid, you know, no way would I dress like that normally unless I had to. And yet every Sunday, my mama made me get dressed up in, in the same suit. And I only had one, so I wore the same thing every week. And for that was my life for, for pretty much 14, 15 years growing up in church. And I used to complain. I know that surprises you, but I'd complain and say, Mom, why do I have to wear this thing? I hate this. And I always got the same answer. The standard reply was, because, honey, we dress our best for God. We dress our best because it shows respect and honor to him. Now, let me be clear. I absolutely believe that showing God respect and honor is a good thing. And if you want to dress your best for that reason, and you want to show up on a tux or a prom dress, I don't care. I really don't care. If it's for that reason, go for it. But here was my problem back when I was a kid, and my problem even now, is that as a kid, I knew the people I, was go- I-, I went to ch- church with. And I knew that though they looked pretty good on the outside, a lot of them were not so good on the inside. Though they had you know, their best clothes on on Sunday, there was a lot of stinky stuff in their hearts. In fact, one of my good friends in one of the churches we attended, is my buddy. And, and his dad was probably the best dressed guy in the church. I mean, expensive suits and perfect hair and manicured everything. And yet he was a wife beater. And I knew that because my friend told me, my dad beats up my mom all the time. And my friend hated his dad because he'd come to church, pretend to be so holy and self-righteous. And then Monday through Saturday, live like the devil. Appearances can deceive. Appearances can deceive us. It's kind of like when my adorable little grandson Caleb comes up to me and he looks so cute. I mean, here, look at him. <laughs> look at those dimples. When he comes up to me and he's got this cute little PJs on or this cute little outfit on, right? He's got a motorcycle jacket. It's the coolest thing in the world. I love it. But it's kind of like when he comes up to me in one of those cute outfits, and then I pick him up and I realize he's adorable on the outside, but he's got a stinky on the inside. (laughs) Dirty diaper. And a great part about being a grandparent is I could go, Mom, here, take your child back and give him back. We look so good sometimes on the outside, but on the inside, it's not the case. My point, again, is that God cares way more about what's here in our heart than he does about what's on the outside, the way we look. And need I remind you that when God created Adam and Eve, they were naked. You know, that joke didn't go over very well the first service either. It's a joke. I mean, God. if God cared about the way we looked in clothes, he would have given us clothes from the beginning. It wasn't until after they sinned that they pulled out the fig leaves. So my point is, God doesn't care. He doesn't care about the way you look. He cares about our hearts. Now, before we go any further, let me make sure that we all understand we're all on the same page about what the Bible means when it uses the word heart. Often, it's synonymous in the Scriptures with the word soul. And in the Scriptures, the word heart refers to the center or the core of our life, both personally and spiritually. It refers to who you are, your values, your emotions, your reasoning power, your desires, and your will. And that's not too uncommon the way we use heart today in our culture. When you say to somebody, I love you with all my heart, you really don't literally mean that pumping muscle in your chest. It means I love you with all that I am. I love you with all my emotions. I feel love and warm fuzzies for you. When you say, you broke my heart, hopefully that doesn't literally mean that somebody physically broke your heart. It means they broke your your will, your spirit, your emotions. When my uh, granddaughter, Adele, was about three and a half, four years old, uh, she made my day, made, and I'll never forget this moment. When I told her, I said, Adele, Grandpa loves you. And without blinking, without hesitation, she said, Grandpa, that makes my heart sing. (laughs) Yeah. I I said right then, what do you want? I'll pay anything. What do you want? College money, a car. I would have given her anything at that moment. Well, she didn't literally mean, even as a three and a half, four-year-old, she wasn't saying, my heart got a mouth and started singing. She knew even as a child that when we use the word heart, we mean who we are, what's on the inside. So again, what's important to understand and remember is that God cares most about what's on the inside our hearts, because that's who we are. With that in mind, I want to read you a passage from Matthew chapter 23. Now, the whole chapter is worthy of reading. It's quite long, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But uh, the whole chapter, Jesus is in the face of the Pharisees, the religious, most religious guys of his day. And he was in their face because they were hypocrites, and that's what he takes issue with. And eight times, if you read the King James, he says, Whoa, whoa to you. It's translated a little differently in the passage I'm going to read. But Matthew 23, let's pick it up in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. So practice, and, and uh, for they don't, for, 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 sorry, for they don't practice what they preach. That's his issue. Follow what they they tell you, but don't follow the way they live, for they don't practice what they preach. Verse 4, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Verse 5, everything they do is for show, and that's his issue. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with Scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. The prayer boxes that they would wear either on their arm or actually on their forehead— uh, they had scripture verses in them, phylacteries is what they were called, but they actually had scriptures in them. And, and some think they originally started wearing them. The idea was to kind of ward off evil and forces of darkness. But these guys wore them simply out of pride. And, in fact, they had extra big boxes and extra long tassels to show how religious, supposedly, that they were. So they were parading their piety. Well, I'll skip down to verse 25. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you? And the King James says, whoa, woe! you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. And trust me, they weren't too happy to hear Jesus say that. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. They were focused on the wrong thing. Verse 27, what sorrow awaits you. Woe, you teachers of religious law and your Pharisees. Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. They would wash, whitewash, paint white the tombs so that no Jew would defile himself by accidentally touching them. He says, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of death. Verse 28, outwardly you look like righteous people. And this is the heart of his issue. Outwardly, you look pretty good. You look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus' beef with these guys is their hypocrisy. They pretended to be such spiritual giants, but in fact were nothing more than whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead and dark and full of stink on the inside. And this was a typical criticism that he had of the Pharisees. In fact, you can find another passage in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus has a similar encounter with these guys. He took offense with their offensiveness, with their hypocrisy. So let me say it again. Appearances can deceive you. They can deceive you. What matters most to God is what's on the inside. What matters most to Him is what's true about your heart, about your mind. And so I want to take a look this morning at what matters most and why. And we're just going to have time for a couple of things. But what what matters most? Here's the first one. Number one in your outline Image is nothing, the heart is everything. What matters most to God? Image is nothing. It doesn't matter to Him. How good you might look on the outside. How clean you might look. How together you might look. How righteous of spirit you might look or sound like on the outside. The heart is everything to God. Most of you have probably seen the Sprite commercials. They uh, were famous for a while. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. That's a picture of a bunch of basketball guys in a room with one guy so tall his head's popping through. But you've seen it. Image is nothing. And Sprite almost got it right. If they just changed one word. Image is nothing. God is everything. Obey God. But even our culture tends to understand this to a degree that, yeah, it, we put a lot of focus on image and we shouldn't. Most of us instinctive, instinctively know that image is at best a weak representation of what's real and true. And yet most of us, let's just be honest, most of us worry more about what we look like than we do on what's in the inside. Now, I'm not thinking of anyone as I Go through this list. Trust me, you're not. Somebody said, "Were you thinking of me?" And no, I'm not. But some of us spend hours in front of the mirror, primping and plucking and plastering, with very little time given to things of spiritual concerns. Seriously, I mean, how how much time do you spend in front of a mirror trying to make yourself look good, compared to the amount of time you spent this week in prayer or in the Word? We focus on the wrong things. Some of us worry about being out of style with our clothes rather than being, and we don't think twice about being out of sync with God's purpose and plan for our lives. We work so hard. And I own this, guys. I do too. I'm not casting stones at anybody. But we work so hard to be accepted, and yet we forget to stop and think about whether our words and our way of life is acceptable to God. You know, uh, one of my scary experiences in in junior high was uh, I spent all this time trying to look so good one day and and, uh, went through the entire day finding out that I had a B.H.O., and a BHO booger hanging out. <laughs> you know, remember Junior High, how terrifying it was? We, spent, we worried. We'd do so much to try to be accepted and liked and, and, and popular. And, and I remember the day when I went through the entire day, and I thought I'd put my best clothes on, and I was cool and studly, and, and acted quite suave and together. And then I got home that afternoon, and, I, and it just dawned on me. I wonder how long I'd had that thing growing out of my nose. And it was disgusting. And it was, I was terrified, mortified. Remember how hard we work to be accepted, how hard we strive to be accepted by our peers. And that's something most of us experienced in school, and some of us haven't grown out of. But we don't worry as much about are we being, is our way of life acceptable to God? Or are our words acceptable to Him? I have a confession to make to you. And I am, I am, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I will tell you that at times I have what my mama calls a potty mouth. I use words that I shouldn't use. Now, I don't drop the F-bomb, so relax. It's not like I'm that bad. But when I, get, when I get mad, or I get hurt, or somebody does something really stupid on the highway, at times I've been known to let it rip. And My wife is usually in the car around me going, honey, and she pulls me you know, back to reality real quick and reminds me, but I, I'm not proud of the fact that sometimes I use words I shouldn't use. And, and it's a struggle that, I, that I've, I've been working on for about 54 years now. But recently, the Lord's been bringing this passage to my times with him quite frequently. And let me just read it to you from Luke chapter 6, 43 to 45. Jesus said a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Makes sense. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. And grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Yeah, okay, I get it. What's the point? Jesus brings it home. Verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from a treasury, from what's stored, from what's treasured, from what's valued, of an evil heart. And then he really makes his point. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Think about your words this week. The way you talk to your spouse, to your kids to your friends, to your boss, or about them. What you say flows from your heart. Jesus said that. King James says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Now here's the deal. Even as a Christ follower, I have experienced His grace. I am in my relationship with Him. As God sees me, I am, I am perfect. I am righteous. I am made whole and, 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 and healed and brought to Uh, wholeness and, and holiness because of what Jesus has done for me. That's the thing that God has done. But in my practice, in my walking that out, I'm still figuring out how to live like Jesus, to be the man that I am, to live the way that God wants me to live. And I am in process just like you are. That guy or gal sitting next to you, they're in process just like you are. And when we make mistakes, and we do, when we say things we shouldn't say, and we do, when we do things we shouldn't do, and we do, We don't give up in despair, but we need to realize and understand that what is in our hearts is going to come out of our mouths. What is in us is going to come out of us. And we just need to understand we're in process. God is still not finished with us yet. And we have a long ways to grow. And God's going to get us there. But the truth and the principle taught here by Jesus is that our words flow from our hearts, hearts, that they reflect what's here. A tree is identified by its fruit. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so on occasion, when I appear to have Tourette Syndrome, the truth is I have a heart issue that needs to be dealt with. Some part of me that still needs to be molded and shaped and formed into the image of God's Son. And the point I want you to get today is that the heart is everything. It's everything. If your heart is bitter, then it doesn't matter how happy you look on the outside. If your heart is broken, then it doesn't matter how together You might look on the outside. If your heart is filled with fear, then it doesn't matter how much faith or strength you pretend to have. Please understand, get this, God hates hypocrisy. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to be transparent. He wants you to be who he's making you to be. And that doesn't mean when you go off and you do something stupid, well, that's just the way I am. By the way, that's not a good excuse. That's not acceptable. But to realize, yes, that is what I've done. That is what I just did. But that's not truly who I am, and I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that man or that woman. But we don't need to pretend, either, that we're more together than we are. God hates hypocrisy. He wants us to be real. Why? Because that's the only path to healing and wholeness. The only way you are going to get to become the man or woman God wants you to become, the only way you're going to experience all that he wants you to experience, is as you stop pretending, stop Living behind the lie. And as you own your stuff and allow God to bring healing and wholeness to your life. Which brings me to point number two. God wants healing and whole person alignment. It's God's goal. Healing and whole person alignment is God's goal for you and me. He desires congruity, consistency between your inside and your outside. You see, God not only saved us from our sins, he saved us from ourselves. And what he wants to bring is this consistency. And again, as long as we're in these earth suits, as long as we're on planet earth, we are going to be in process. There will never come a day when you can say, I've finally arrived! I've made it! I am done! God's finished with me! Trust me, that day will never come until he returns. But each day we should be growing. Each day we should be becoming more a whole person, more aligned with his purposes for us. He doesn't want you to live under the burden of trying to pretend to be something you're not. He doesn't. Because that's a hard and a miserable way to live. What he wants is healing and wholeness so that we can become everything he created us to be in him. Healing and wholeness. One of my favorite scripture verses, and so I land on on a fairly regular basis, is found in John 10.10. And Jesus made this declaration. He said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. And you need to understand that Jesus is referring to Satan, to our enemy. If you didn't know you had an enemy, you do. And he says the thief, the enemy, Satan, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. If at any point this last week you experienced death or destruction or felt ripped off from some good thing that God had for you, then that's the work of the enemy. Now, it may have come through the hand of another, through the voice of another But it's ultimately the work of Satan. His desire is to rip you off, to destroy you, to take you out. We're in a battle. And Jesus said the enemy, the thief, has come to rob, to steal, to kill, to destroy you. But that's not where it finishes. That's not where he ended it. He said, but I've come that you might have life. And even there he doesn't stop. He says, not just life, but life abundantly. Life to the max. Life that's overflowing. Now, in our American culture... When we hear words like that, uh, some of us immediately think, well, I guess God wants me to drive a Rolls Royce, live in a million-dollar home, and be rich, fat, and happy. That is not what Jesus meant by abundant life. That's not his intent. It's not consistent with anything else he taught in the Scriptures. Now, if you happen to be wealthy, great. Good for you. But that's not the intent. God's, when Jesus said, I want you to have life and life abundant." life to the max, life overflowing. What he means is he wants us to live with the awareness of what he's done, what he's doing, who he is, live each day with purpose, live each day with an understanding of God's plan for us, live each day content with what we have, knowing that we have his presence, even when we have nothing, even when we are without, even when we have absolutely no good thing happening, we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we can still live that abundant life because we have him. Do you understand that? It's because we have his life because he's with us, because we're never alone. Now, a life abundant, that life overflowing is a life that realizes it comes from the one who is the source of life, from Jesus himself. But how do we experience that? How do we get to that wholeness and healing, that whole person alignment? Well, I'm going to cover four things. Each of these probably deserve a week in and of themselves, but I'm going to run through these four things real quickly. How do you experience the healing and wholeness God wants for you? Here's the first thing, letter A. You come to the healer. You come to the healer. I suppose it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyhow. You've got to come to Jesus. We come to the one who is our healer. Now, I am not opposed for one second to modern medicine or modern counseling or modern support or modern help. You know, I started getting sick a week ago, didn't feel real good last Sunday. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, I was grossly, deathly ill. And every night I was taking NyQuil, and I was so happy I had it. (laughs) So I'm not opposed to modern medicine or modern counseling or modern anything. That's not my point. But what I want you to understand is this. Ultimately, listen, ultimately, he's the one who brings true wholeness and true healing to our lives. I might be able to take something that will fix me physically for a while or help me get over something. But he's the one that's ultimately going to bring the wholeness and the life and the healing that I need. Whatever we experience from modern technology is fine, but are we turning to him? Are we crying out to him? Our wholeness must start and end with the only one who has the power to change from the inside out. He's the one who can transform us from the inside out. And so it's got to begin and end with Jesus. Come to the healer. Some of you today are investigating Christianity. And you've been thinking about what it means. You've been looking at what it means to follow him, to become a Christ follower. It means you come to him. And healing is physical, it's emotional, but he heals us of our sins. He heals us of our past. He brings wholeness to our lives in every way. Come to Jesus. The second thing we do, letter B, is let God into the dark, secret places of your soul. Let God into those places that you don't think anybody else knows about. Into those places you don't want anybody else to see. Into that place of shame and brokenness. Let God there. Take your brokenness and your junk to him. You see, it's not really hidden anyhow. He sees it already. There's nothing hidden from him. And here's a little other insight you need to know. He can handle it. There's nothing too big, too bad, too ugly, too dark for him. He can handle it. First Corinthians 4, Paul wrote this. He said, when the Lord comes, he's talking about when the end of all days is over and Jesus comes back, he will bring into the light of day all, important word there, all, That at present is hidden in darkness. All those things we think we've hidden. And he will expose the secret motives of men's heart. See, it's all known by him. It's all going to be known. And the best thing we can do is not try to hide it. To stop trying to pretend and live there. Or to keep that part of our soul away from him. But to bring it to him. Those dark places. To bring it to him and ask him, God, here, I need you to touch me right here at this point of darkness in my soul. Let God into that dark place. Let her see. Learn to walk in the light and in truth. Key word there is learn. Again, we are in process. All of us are in process. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I'm still in process. And we need to learn to walk in light, in truth. Again, our enemy, Satan, you need to hear me. Our enemy, he is also called in scriptures the father of lies. He's the one who constantly is berating you and and beating you down and trying to bring lies into your thinking and into your heart. He's the father of lies. Now, he may use the voice of another person. He may use that self-talk that sometimes we have. But it ultimately is the work of the father of lies who wants to trap you in a lie. And when the Scripture says, walk in the light, When the Scripture calls us to walk in truth, the truth that we have is in the Word of God, and it's filled with true statements about who we are, true statements about what God has done. And when we start to hear those old tapes, when we start to hear those lies, what we need to do is say, no, that is not who I am. That is not truth. Again, not hypocrisy, not pretending, but the true me is dedicated to God. The true me is following Him. The true me is one who's being changed, being transformed by, by His power into the image of His Son. And we stop listening to those old tapes. We stop playing those lies that, that plague us. We stop listening to things like a lie, I can never change. Or, you know, there, there's no way I can ever get over this. Or one I heard just two weeks ago from someone in a conversation I had with him. He said, God can never forgive, love, or accept a person like me. He truly believed that. That he was too bad, too far gone, too messed up. That God could never accept me, I'm just too far gone. And I had the pleasure of looking him in the face and saying, that's not true. In fact, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We've got to learn to stop the voice of the enemy. And even that self-talk that contradicts the truth of God's word. And it's a process we learn. Let me just give you a few. The scriptures are filled with truth about who you are and what God has done and is doing in you. Let me just read a few of them to you. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Anyone, that includes everyone, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's begun. It's, you've got a ways to go, but it's begun. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything, everything through Christ who gives me strength. Is there anything too hard for God? No. Are you too bad, too messed up? No. In fact, the truth of the Scriptures is you can do everything through Christ. Not on your own strength, not on your own, but through him who gives you the strength to get where you need to be. And then I love this passage in Ephesians 5, 8. Paul says, you were once darkness. He didn't just say you were in darkness, which is true as well, but you were once darkness. But now, now you are light in the Lord. Paul says you, as a Christ follower, you are light in the Lord. And then his admonition is now live. Go live as children of the light. Live out who you are. I'm convinced of this, that life is a series of forks in the road. Whether you are consciously aware of it or not, multiple times in every day, not just once, but multiple times in every day, you come to these forks where you make a decision, again, consciously or unconsciously, are you going to go God's way or your way? Are you going to listen to him or listen to someone else or your own self-talk or to the enemy? Are you going to follow him or follow your own way? Multiple times every day of your life, we come to these forks on the road where we are given an opportunity to choose. And here's what you need to understand. You choose. And no one else can choose for you. You choose. When you're in that place that's hard, you choose. Am I going to trust God or am I going to be wrapped up with fear? When you're in that place that's dark and scary, You choose, am I going to continue to walk in darkness? Or am I going to say, no, right now I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to know that he is with me every step. That he's promised, listen, he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Will you believe that or think you're all alone? When you face those challenges in life that are bigger than you, will you be consumed and afraid and give up? And then what's the point? Why bother? I could never. Or will you turn to him and say, God, I do all things. All things through you, Jesus, through Christ, who gives me strength. We come to these forks in the road, and we choose which path we're going to take. We need to walk in the light. And here's the last thing, letter D, and this is very important. Surround yourself with people who will encourage and challenge you. Surround yourself with people who will encourage and challenge you. In other words, hang out with godly men and women who will build you up. If you're hanging out with people who are tearing you down all the time, that gets to be a real drag, and it's a hard way to live. And By the way, if you're married to that person, the Bible doesn't say divorce them because of that, but I do want you to understand that that's not a healthy environment, and you don't need to stay there. God wants it to change. He wants wholeness to come to your relationship. But the the point is, we again, we live in a community of faith, and it's intentional, it's on purpose. God, I believe this with all that I am that we best experience and it will find the wholeness that he wants for us as we walk it out, elbow to elbow and shoulder to shoulder. Even when somebody says something to you that hurts you. And wait, wait, that's a Christian. You said that Christians, I need to hang out with them, that they're supposed to be good for me. And what that guy just said hurt. Well, even then, it's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Will you forgive as you've been forgiven? Well, I don't like the way they treat me. Well, will you choose to to understand that you've treated people poorly as well and use that as an opportunity to grow in patience and long-suffering to become more like him. God put us in a community of faith, and I am convinced, I believe this with every fiber of my being, that we best experience the healing and wholeness that he wants for us, not isolated, not on our own, but as we surround ourselves with others in the body of Christ. That's why we beat the drum so often around here for life groups for getting into discipleship classes. Because if this is your only experience of church, coming once a week for an hour, and listening to a talking head, then you're not experiencing the community that God wants you to experience. And you won't become all that he wants you to become. We need each other. We need to hang out with others who will encourage us and challenge us and will speak the truth and love to us and will build us up rather than tear us down. Your heart matters to God. In fact, it's what matters most. And he sent his son to heal us, not only of our sins, but to heal us of our brokenness and to make us whole. I want you to watch one last video, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Let's watch this together.
1: Was a son. He was a, a baby adored by his mother. He was a brother and he was a friend. He was a man. He was a carpenter. Working with his father. He was a teacher who spoke to thousands. He was a healer. He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. He raised people from the dead. He was a radical. He was a friend to the outcast and rejected by the religious he was bold he backed down from no one he was brilliant he confounded the wise he was loved but he was hated he was tempted but did no wrong he was innocent but found guilty he was forsaken he was beaten beyond recognition they ripped out his beard they shoved thorns into his head he was battered, bruised and broken his hands and his feet were nailed to a cross. He was crucified. He was murdered. He was the God of all nations. He was our high priest. He was God come to earth. He was the savior of our universe. He was a great light shining in the dark the sun over the horizon. He was And because he was, I am redeemed, I am healed, and because he was, I am forgiven, I am at peace, I am safe, and I am free. He. Will-
0: that video and what I've been trying to passionately inspire you with today is that he was broken so that you could be whole. He died so that you could experience life. And you don't have to pretend anymore. You can come to him and embrace the grace that he's offered to you and walk in his light. Walk in him. And know the plan and the purpose he has for you. Because what he cares about most is not the way you look, but what's right here, what's in your heart. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. That you made a way for us to be whole through him. That you brought life to us through him. That we have hope because of him. That we don't have to pretend. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in our own foolish, broken ways. We can choose you and experience you and know you and be transformed and changed by you. Some of us, Lord, made that decision a long time ago to become Christ followers, to give our lives to you. And we are in process. God, remind us, remind everyone today sitting here in this room and those watching online that we are in process and that our part is to just keep saying yes to you and to not pretend, to just let you do your work in us and to be real and honest and to let you transform us into the image of your Son. And God, there are some here this morning that have not yet begun their life as a Christ follower. And my prayer for them today is that they would say yes to you and begin this journey of transformation, this journey of faith. In fact, would you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and that's you. And you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. Maybe during that video it hit you, it dawned on you, Jesus died for me. He loves me. And you realize in this moment that you need him. You need a Savior. You need a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And you need power. You, you know you can't get there on your own. And you need that transforming power of God within you to change you. If you're here today and that's you, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And I'm going to ask you in this moment just to embrace these words, to make these words yours, to say, yes, God, that's me. And it really, again, is a decision of your heart. It begins in your heart as you say, yes, God that's me, then that's where he enters in and transforms you from the inside out. Make this prayer yours right now. Father, I've sinned. I've failed. I am far from what I know you want me to be. And I've gone my own way. I've chosen that fork in the road. I've chosen my way time and time again. But I come to you today and I ask you, forgive me. I embrace your grace. I thank you for the sacrifice you paid for my sins on that cross, Jesus. And today, I invite you into the very deepest parts of my life, my soul. I invite you to my heart, my life. I give you all. I surrender all that I am to you. I give up to you. And I accept you. And I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Now, if that's you, and that's the decision that you want to make today, just in your own way, just in your own heart, say, yeah, God, man, that's me. That's what I want. That's my prayer. And the instant you do, The Bible says that he comes inside to your heart, to your your inner man, your inner woman, and begins to put a a new person there, a brand new life there that only comes by him. Lord, thank you for those that have made that decision today. Show them what all this means and what you're going to do and how powerful you are and how much you love them. Seal that in their hearts, I pray right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. And I love this song. It says, God is able. Make it a declaration. We're going to give. And if you're visiting, you can drop that uh, card in the the bag right now. I want to remind you of something. Listen to me. I know that right now fear is the predominant thing in our culture. can't hardly watch the news without people talking about how you know, we're on the verge of another recession and things are going tank and, and bad and Greek's going to fail and Europe's going to fail and we're going to fail. And I know that fear is driving many in our society. And unfortunately, I know it's driving many in the church. Well, how do I know that? Because I've seen, I've tracked our giving over the last few months and, and it's not what it used to be. People are holding on and fear The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. I want to encourage you today to trust God. To give because you trust Him. To give because you love Him, but that you're putting your trust in Him. And the Bible says, as you acknowledge Him, put Him first. Give Him that place of preeminence in your life. That He'll make your path straight. That He'll get you where you need to be. He's trustworthy. Let's give as we trust and as we love the Lord. As we seen this sign, God is able. He is able. He's for you. He really is. He'll never fail you and never let you down. You don't have to live in the shadows. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live behind some facade of self-righteous spirituality. Be who you are in Him. Be who Jesus made you to be. And that will bring great delight to Him. A couple things before you go today. Uh, if you began your life as a Christ follower, on the tables as you go out, there's a the says for new Christians on it. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started, and you walk with him. Please pick one of those up. On the table right back there against the center of the wall is the Operation Christmas gift boxes. Please, I'd love to see all of those gone. Just take them. And if you, if there's not a box there, all you need to grab is the uh, form. The, uh, this little package says how to pack a box. It's got all the information. You can get your own shoe box or plastic box and do it. But let's take those home and get it done. I encourage you to come back tonight. I know I'm asking a lot. Uh, I don't know what's on TV. That's why God created DVRs. Just uh, just please, I'm, I'm asking, you, 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 I promise you, you won't regret coming back tonight at 6 o'clock. If you need prayer, prayer to me down, be down front. If you're not coming back tonight and you'd like communion, because we will be taking communion together tonight. But if you need communion, it's on both sides of the room. God bless you guys. Go walk in the light this week. Thanks for coming.